welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. There it is. There it is. It's still early. I get it. I get it. Well, for those that, that don't know me, I'm, I'm Pastor Ross Gilbert. And uh, if you're new here, we're great to have you. And great to have you join us online. What if I need those papers? Did you ever? I got to wing it. Well, now I can't sing. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, this morning, we're going to take some time and look at the larger story of, of creation. So, so far, we've, we've begun and we've been looking at the, the when and the how of creation. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the who uh, is behind creation. And, and again, it's important that we talk about the creation story because the, the world is pushing a narrative. The world is pushing a story that says that there is no God, that we're just the, the result of random mutations that have come out of really nothing. And, and that as a society, really, we've, we've matured beyond the fairy tales and myths that uh, our predecessors would believe around the things of God, and that we've kind of moved on past those primitive things. And, and really, that religion only exists today in order to use as a, as a tool or a way to manipulate and control people uh, through the threat of, of a God that was going to punish them if they don't have good behavior. And so that's how the world views faith. And it's important that we kind of take the time and, and really look at and discover that's not the case. That there is a very credible account for creation in the beginning, opening chapters of, of the Bible. But more than that, that we get to discover the heart of God. And, and that's really my prayer is this morning is that we go through this chapter. We're actually, we're actually going to do one chapter this morning. Isn't that incredible? Not just two or three verses. We're going to do a whole chapter. Which is good that we don't have Sunday school, because that's normally the time when I have to stop. So get comfortable. But um, we're going to look at chapter one, because and hopefully, again, you're going to discover the heart of God and who he is and what he is to us. And, and I'm, I'm in awe, really, of this chapter, because chapter one is not a myth or it's not a story, although it tells a story. And, and it's not a poem, although there are elements of poetry in it. And it's not a historical document, although there is history there. And neither is it a scientific document, even though there are elements of science in there. In this, this single chapter, there are only 76 root words that are used. And in that, it is able to tell the whole story of creation. Remarkable. Again, it's going to be a summary, right? Because it's not going into all the scientific detail of the, of the how and the, and the cells and, and so forth. Uh, I, I like to compare it to a newspaper article. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I would watch the Leafs uh, on Saturday night win or lose. It was the 80s. They lost more than they won. Uh, but then on Sunday morning, I remember I'd, I'd grab the newspaper. I'd read the recap. I'd read the summary. And, and in there, in that newspaper article, he, he wouldn't tell the, the writer wouldn't tell the whole story. They wouldn't go into all the details. But they're giving a summary of the highlights, of the key points to it. And so you read that article, and you could feel like you saw the whole game. 
And that's sort of what I think Genesis chapter 1 is doing. It's a, it's a summary. It's, it's a newspaper article where it's giving us the highlights, but not going into all the details that we might want to have in particular points. Again, only using 76 root words. Arranged in a, in a poetic pattern, it includes scientific descriptions, includes elements of history in a story. It's an incredible piece of literature that I really believe only God could write. So let's, let's pray this morning that God's going to open up our eyes and ears so we can discover what God wants to reveal to us here. Father, creation in itself is filled with your fingerprints. It's filled with splendor and beauty. And, and I pray this morning that somehow you would convey that to each of us, that, that you would speak through this very simple vessel who's very uncreative and be able to express to each and every one of us how good you are, how wonderful you are, how glorious you are, and why is it that you've created all this? What is it you, is behind all this that you're wanting to do? So we're going to trust you, Lord Jesus, as best we know how to make that happen. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to try and explore this, this chapter from a, a 30,000 feet in the air perspective, meaning that we're not going to capture all the detail, all the nuances, but rather just sort of, again, hit the highlights of it. So let's start in, in the first day. So in Genesis 1, 1 to 5, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So on, on this first day, what we see here is, is God in the creation of space, time, and matter. And all three are critical to be formed together. Because if there is no space, then where do you put what you're making? And if there's no time, then when do you put it? And if there's no matter, what do you put? And so all three are created there. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens as the space. That's, that's what he's created at the very beginning. Now, notice there, he says that the earth, singular, but he says heavens, plural. And in our, if we were to study scripture, we'll discover that there are actually three heavens. Now, it doesn't specifically say this is the first and second and third. Or it does say the third heaven, right? And so if there's a third heaven, that implies that there's a first and second. But it, the, the third heaven, that's, the, that's where Paul talks about being caught up. And he was caught up into the third heaven. And that's what we typically refer to as heaven. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the place where we think of God reigning, God's dominion. So that's the third heaven. The second heaven is what we often refer to as outer space. And that's what God's created here in verse 1. And then we're going to see in, on day 2, the first heaven is really the atmosphere. And so we see there are the three different heavens that, that God's going to create. And at this point, all he's created is the third heaven and the second heaven. He's created where he reigns, and he's created the outer space. But now, now he's going to fill it. And he's going to fill that with the earth. And at this point, the earth is, form, is without form. It's void. It's, it's um, disordered, and it's filled with chaos. And as we saw, he introduces light. 
He didn't create the light. He just says, let there be light. He introduces light, and he separates the light from the darkness. And he calls the, the, the uh, light day, and he calls the darkness night. And as we saw last time here, this light, it's not the sun. It's not stars. It's not even reflecting off the moon. The light is who? It's Jesus. And Jesus is the light of this world. He's the light of the universe. And so he's introduced here at the very beginning. And he's that source of life. He is the day. That's why we are called children of the day. It's why at one point in Revelation 22, there's no longer going to be night. There's no longer going to be darkness. And there's not going to even be a need for the sun because Jesus will be that light. Now, what we're going to see here, though, is that God's starting with disorder, and he's going to move from disorder to order. That's the whole process of creation here, moving from disorder to order. And, and I think what's interesting there is that it's similar to what he's doing in our own lives, is that our lives are, are filled with all kinds of chaos. It's filled with all kinds of disorder, rooted mainly in, the, in what we think, what we believe, the lies we believe about God. The lies we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about other people. And so what God is doing is he's, he's bringing us from that place of disorder to order. That's what Romans 12, 2 is talking about, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, that doesn't always feel fun. It doesn't always feel simple. But it's sort of like cleaning out a garage, right? Sometimes when you clean out a garage, you have to make a bigger mess before you have a clean garage at the end of it. And that's what God's doing in our own lives right now, I think, at times. He's, he's pulling out and he's exposing some of those lies, some of that mess, some of that disorder in our lives in order that he can replace it with the truth. Again, the truth of who he is. The truth of who he is in you and the truth of who you are in him now. And so we see all that on day one. And then he, he comes back to time. He's in the beginning, he created time, but now he's going to put a, a, a marker on that time because he says this is day one. There was evening and there was morning on the first day. And so now time is, is finite. It's measurable. And all that's on day one. On to day two. Verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters from which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. The expanse here, sometimes translated like in the King James as the, the firmament. The NIV, NIV uses the word vault. Uh, others use an arch. None of that is helpful to me. <laughs> right? I, I'm, I, I'm looking at like firmament. I don't know what that is. You know, arch, I know what an arch is, but that doesn't really help me. It's the sky. It's the atmosphere, right? So what he did is initially it's just this earth covered in water, and now he's going he's gonna to separate water from water with a heaven with something in between. And so think about the clouds, right? He's, he's creating the atmosphere around the earth. And that's critical, because if there's no atmosphere around the earth, then there's no way that the earth can survive. There's no life on this earth. So he's got to start here. And so he separates. He makes clouds above, above the water, with oxygen, air, in between. And everything survives off of that. In fact, when scientists are looking for life in outer space, one of the things they're looking for is, do they find a planet with an atmosphere? Because without an atmosphere, there's no life that's able to, to survive. 
Because that atmosphere is sort of like a blanket that covers the earth, that keeps air in, but also keeps the warmth in, it keeps the moisture in. No atmosphere, everything's gone. Everything dissipates. So these are foundational pieces that God's putting in place. And now on day three, he can start to build off of that. So in verse nine, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind was seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. So up till now, again, we have this earth. with the, There's no land. It's just, just a ball of water. It's got an atmosphere now. And, and so then God begins to create land. He's going to now separate the seas and he's creating what he's going to call, call earth. And from the earth, he's going to bring forth vegetables and trees bearing fruit. <laughs> now, nobody knows really what that looked like. Again, this is sort of that, that we have a, a newspaper summary, right? We don't have a, a story. We don't have a historical document where it's, it's detailing even the signs of how that came about. But I, I kind of imagine it that it was a, a combination of things. That the the tectonic plates that were below the water began to shift, and they rose up. And that's how we created some bodies of land. Maybe there's some volcanic explosions that began to form islands. Maybe, Maybe the land just began to rise up. Maybe it was a combination of all three. But you could just, again... Try to picture it. Don't don't read this or listen to this as if it's a textbook. Use your imagination to just picture this this earth transforming immediately, quickly, from, from being a body of water to suddenly the continents appearing, the mountains showing up. And then all of a sudden, out of that land, it's just it's just brown earth at this point, and God says, Now bring forth the vegetation. And so imagine now, suddenly trees beginning to form. Imagine the Amazon forest immediately coming to life. Or or fields of flowers, of wildflowers of every color. I mean, suddenly, it's like going from a a black and white TV to color TV in 4K, right? Just all of a sudden, all that color just pops up on Earth. Can you imagine the beauty of it? Can you imagine how gorgeous this, this world, this creation now begins to look? And all of this is just, just happening. And then he, he's creating the fruits and the vegetables. And, and I find this amazing. Again, chapter one is not a scientific document, but we see elements of science here, right? God classifies the difference between a fruit and a vegetable, a classification that we still use today, right? That fruits are, are things that develop from a flower, where it could be on a, on a plant, it could be on a tree, but they can say, they contain their seed in them. So think about an apple. Think about an orange. Think about a grape, right? There's a flower, and out of, out of that flower forms a fruit, and the seed is actually within the fruit itself. But vegetables, vegetables are different. Vegetables are really the plant itself. They're the, they're the leafy greens, they're the roots, the stems. Think about potatoes or, or Brussels sprouts or celery, for example. Right? There's a classification. They're different. And notice he created them uniquely. 
One didn't come from the other. Didn't, he didn't create a, a single plant that evolved over time to create all the plants. He created them uniquely. He made the strawberry what it is. He made the blueberry what it is. He made the apple tree and the orange tree and the avocados. He made each and every one of them uniquely after their kind. And that's important because that's how it works. Like begets like. Right? Like when, when, when Joy and I, we had kids, nobody asked, are they human? Right? Sometimes you wonder from their behavior, right? But the reality is nobody asks, are they human? They just assume that because they're assuming we're human. May not be accurate, but, but it's true. Like begets like. In the same way, you would never find an orange on an apple tree or an apple on an orange tree. Like begets like. And so that's what he's saying here. All of this is, is producing what it is. And it's just, to me, it's such, such beauty and splendor that just is, is appearing before us here on this day three. Well, let's move on to day four now because he's got, he's got an atmosphere. He's got, he's got land separating the seas. He, he's got fruits and vegetables, but now they need a sun. Now they need light. So on day four, God creates the sun, moon, and stars. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. So again, notice what God does. He's, he's created the, the, the star, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and he's placed them in the, expanse, in the outer expanse. Right? He's, placed, he's placed them in the second heaven that we know is outer space. And, and I kind of imagine it this way, that, that, that God was just sort of flinging them out there, not, not randomly, with great purpose and great intention, but I kind of just imagine he just throwing it out there, throwing the star, and, and I see the star just whipping out until it finally reaches its, its proper destination, whipping out the moons, whipping out the planets out there. He was just flinging it out there. He was flinging out the star, the, the, sorry, the, the sun and the moon, and, and they landed exactly where they needed to be. Perfectly, particularly the sun and the moon. Scientists will tell us that if the sun was a little bit further or a little bit closer to Earth, life as we know it would not be possible on this planet. It'd be too hot or it'd be too cold. Even the moon, the location of the moon, if it's too far or too close, would have dramatic impact on our planet and how it functions. That change the tides and everything, change gravity even. And so the, the, the fine-tuning of this creation, the fine-tuning of everything, is so critical. Now, what's interesting is many religions, they worship the sun and the moon. But do you notice they're just mere creations? They're not a god. They are created by God, and they're there to serve us. We don't worship them. They serve us. And they give some specific roles. So note the purpose that God has given the sun, moon, and the stars. Number one, they provide light. 
right? Directly during the day from the sun and then reflected off the moon at the night. Because without light, we'd be in trouble. You wouldn't be able to see where you're going. But more than that, the sun provides that warmth. It provides that energy. It allows the plants to grow. It allows, allows all of us to grow, vitamin D and so forth. And so there's so much coming from this light. It's critical. But he also said that the sun, moon, and stars are meant to mark a season. So, so one rotation of the earth is a single day. And we see that as we watch the travel of the sun setting, rising and setting. And then you have the, the one month is a single lunar cycle, where it goes from, from nothing to full moon back to nothing. Or we've got the, uh, the fact that the earth rotates around the sun, and that gives us a year. So, so this astronomy, the, the sun, moon, and stars, they're used to tell us the season, what month we are in, what, what year we're in. But it's also used to mark signs. Sailors would use the sun to navigate during the day, but what do they use at night? They use the stars. That's, it's a, that's amazing to me. I mean, no GPS, right? No Google there to tell them, turn left, turn right. But they're able to know exactly where they are because there's a star chart, and they can measure based on where, what the, the stars look like, and they can figure it out. But here's what I find amazing. That in the northern hemisphere, hemisphere, there is one star that doesn't move, relative to us at least, right? If you watch the night sky, you'll see all the stars moving across the sky, except one star, the North Star, which gives us a reference point, which allows us to, to know which way points north. And in the southern hemisphere, they have the Southern Cross, which is the exact same thing. Isn't that amazing? And some would say that's just mere coincidence, mere randomness. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. But more than that, stars could even be used to point out significant events. You think about the wise men, right? The Magi, how they were studying the stars, and they came across the star of Bethlehem, which foretold the birth of the king of the Jews. And they followed that star and led them to Bethlehem. And so God has great purpose in, in the, these constellations and this out, in outer space and all these bodies out there that are for us. So now that the sun is in place, God can begin to create living beings here on day five. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm with their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. So now God creates these animals, these sea creatures. The word here translated as monsters just means large, right? So you think about the, the whales and the sharks and, and the giant squids and, and, and all these massive animals that we even haven't even discovered yet in the oceans. He's creating all of that. And I, and I say that we haven't even discovered them yet because 80% of our oceans has not yet been discovered. It's not been mapped. 
So we really don't even know what's in our own, our own oceans, our own seas. And so there's so much that God created, these massive, massive creatures. But then he also creates all the other sea creatures, the fish and the lobsters and the crabs and the, and the seahorses and the planktons and so forth. And again, just don't, don't read this like a textbook. Imagine the, 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 the waters suddenly just coming to life. I can imagine just the, the stirring up of all these waters as these, these whales are being created and the, and the sharks and, 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 and all the fish and all the different kinds of fish. And again, even the colors of these fish. The beauty of God's creation. The beauty of what he's doing. I mean, he didn't have to make these tropical fish the way he did. He chose to do so. You can see the the hand of an artist at work here. And then he creates the birds. Again, he creates them after their kind. So he doesn't start with one bird and allows that bird to mutate over time to create all the other kinds of birds. He makes an eagle. And he makes, makes a hawk. And he makes, makes a robin. He makes a turkey. He makes the dodo bird. He, he individually creates all these. He makes the blue jay and the oriole and the cardinal. And I wonder if he imagined that they would make great mascots for, bat, for baseball teams later. But he's, he's creating all these unique, beautiful creations with vibrant colors, with all this beauty. And now we come to day six, the, the final day of creating, right? Because day seven, he's going to rest. But on day six is the final day of creating. And look what he says, beginning in verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps in the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. He, he creates the animals the same way he created the vegetables and the fruits in that he, he brought them out of the earth. He brings forth the cattle or the livestock. Those are the, the cows and, the, and the, the goats and the sheep. And, and then he brings forth these beasts, these animals like elephants and giraffes and hippopotamuses and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Right? He's, he's creating these things. And again, the, the beauty of it. I mean, think about the, the beauty of a horse, especially as it's running in a field. Or, or the elegance of a giraffe, or the strength and the power of an elephant, or the majesty of a lion, the, the grace of a tiger or a panther, the excitement of a dog. All of that has been created by his hands, by God himself. And then he even brings forth every creeping thing. Right? So think about the lizards and the snakes and, and even the mice and the squirrels and the chipmunks. All of them, again, created after their kind. Each unique species, male and female. Again, don't, don't just think like it's in a textbook here. Picture, picture it like you're, you're reading a novel. Imagine this parade of animals as they kind of present themselves to God. They're moving around, and, and imagine, imagine the joy as they discover this creation themselves, 
as they look up and they see the sun and as they, they, they feel the grass and discover the joy of rolling around in that grass to scratch the itch on your back. Or the, imagine the joy of discovering water and the cool, refreshing joy that a drink would bring. But above all that, imagine God watching this, smiling, enjoying it, because remember, each of, the, each of these steps, each thing he's done, when he's looked over it, what has he said? It's good. This is so good. L look at them play. Look at them frolic. Look at them move. It's, it's just as I intended. But he's not done creating yet. Now, instead, he, he reaches the pinnacle of creation. And it's the creation of mankind. So in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Let us. Before it was just God said, now it's let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's almost like he's saying, just so we're clear, all three of us are involved in this, this, this process, this, this creation. All three of us are intimately involved. And together, we're going to create man. We're going to create mankind. And we're going to create them according to our image, according to his likeness. Now, we're going to have more to say on this in, in weeks to come, but, but I want you to note that the first man and the first woman were created in complete perfection. They were good, and they were pure. They were filled with light. They were right. They were holy. They were special. They were unique. They were set apart, and, and they didn't earn this standing one bit. They didn't deserve it. They didn't work for it. Simply, they were created this way. They were created as God intended them to be. And you note, he, it says that he created him, male and female. There was a male him and a female him. And together, they are mankind. Together, they are, they are man. And they are equal in value, completely equal in value, made in the image of God. And yet unique. One is male and one is female. Please again notice that equality does not require sameness. Equality does not mean that everything has to be identical. Instead, they are unique, but they are both equal before God. Because they're both made in the image of God. And then God gives them a charge. He gives them a mission, a role to play. Even bigger than what he gave to the animals. He gave a small charge to the animals, but he gives us a bigger one. And that's unique to mankind. It's not one that he gave to any other part of creation. Right? He didn't, he didn't say to the fruit, now listen, fruit, you guys be sweet and juicy. And vegetables, you, you, be, you be in such a way that, that kids' mouths will lock up around you. <laughs> All right? And, and they, will, they will refuse to eat you. Right? Just, that's, that's your job. He, he didn't say that to them. Right? He, he didn't even say to the dogs, now, dogs, listen now, you wag your tail, and you make people around you think like they're the most important person in the world. 
And cats, you think you're the most important person, and you make them feel worthless, okay? That's your job, right? He didn't give them these charges. But to mankind, he does. Look what he says. He says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which is life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What's our mission? Number one, be, be fruitful and multiply. And number two, to explore and to even conquer this earth and make it our home. That's that word subdue. It means to take possession of it. And, and as such, we get to rule on this earth. That was, that was God's intent, that you and I would be lords of this earth. Now, please understand, there is great responsibility in that. Because anything that you, you are ruling over, that you have dominion over, you are there to serve. You are there to look after. You're there to protect and to care for. And so that's what we're called to for the environment, is we're called to serve and care for and protect and even nurture the environment. That's not to say we're all called to now go join Greenpeace and protest you know, any natural resource extraction. Because that would reverse the order. That would now put creation, this world, over us. Instead, we're called to use those natural resources, but to do so in a, a responsible way, in a way where we don't just ravage the earth, leaving it desolate and, and in our, in, you know, a mess in our wake. And so that includes farming. It includes oil and gas. It includes, includes other minerals, minerals extraction. It includes forestry. It includes um, fishing and ranching and mining and so forth. You know, all of these things we're, we're called to do as we establish these homes, as we build these roads, as we subdue and explore this creation. And, and there's beauty in sometimes leaving it the way it is. Like we have places like Algonquin Park or places like Banff. And then there's beauty of what we've created in our homes and our, in our, you know, our, our buildings and so forth. There's beauty in each. We're just called to do so in a responsible way. But if we stop there, I think we miss the heart of God. We miss the whole point. We, we, we would just now look at creation in a very mechanical way. I want you to see the heart of God. I want you to see the heart of what he's done. Because he's created splendor and magnificence. He's created color and warmth and smells and every sensation. He's created the power and the majesty of the mountains, the beauty of the field of flowers, the calmness of trees swaying in the wind, the sweet sound of waves lapping up against the shore. All of this beauty, all of this splendor he's created, and then he gives to you and me. Here you go. 
It's, it's yours to enjoy and to play with and to celebrate. It's all for you. And, and he entrusts this creation with us to care for it and to rule it. And, and he's confident because being made in his image, he now elevates us and crowns us with glory and majesty. That's humbling. To me, it's absolutely humbling and, and, and amazing, and I'm filled with awe that God would, would create all this for us to enjoy as a playground, even as a gift because he just loves us so much. There's only one logical response, and I think David had it in Psalm 8. And he writes this. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. What he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, when I, when I fathom the vastness of creation, how incredible it is, how enormous it is, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Who, who am I? You, you create all this, and you, you think of me? I'm, I'm but a speck, and yet I matter to you. Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. Isn't that amazing? Look at your neighbor. That's a person that God has crowned with glory and majesty. I don't get it either. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and of the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here. Because in a moment, they're going to they're gonna sing a song from one of the songs we sang earlier this morning. But I, I want you to listen to the words more so. And I, I want you to see how, how similar this is really to what, what David penned in Psalm 8. But, but this song really is a song that God sings to you and me. That, that God, is, God is inviting you and I, I would say, to receive this gift. This, this gift of creation, this gift of beauty, this gift of splendor, which says something about what he thinks of you, which says something about how important you are to him and how much you matter to him. And I, and I pray that in this invitation, you would find the rest and the relief that your soul is clamoring for right now. Because it's in him, in this beauty, that we find the healing, we find the hope, we find the joy that we so desperately need.
set every star into place that you would remember my name. I made it all for you. You are my masterpiece. You are the reason I sing. This is my song for you. What a, what a beautiful picture of God's heart and a beautiful picture of his, his invitation to rest in him. Heavenly Father, we, we are in awe that you would make all of this beauty and all this creation. And I pray that as we leave here today or if we go for a walk later on, that we wouldn't fall into the trap of the same old. That we wouldn't fall into the trap of, of, of seeing beauty but being so, uh, so used to it that we develop apathy. And on a day, especially like today, where there's such beautiful snow falling, may we see the beauty that you've created. May we be reminded of the beauty that you've given to us, the splendor and the glory and the majesty. And may we trust you. Trust you for that hope and that joy and that healing and that peace that our soul so desperately needs. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.